One of the biggest things I've learned is you really need to sit down and have time, not when you're on the floor, either before work, after work, or when you're not meant to be at work at all. I think you really need to make that time outside of the four walls so it can be uninterrupted. It's not biased by what's happening around you. And what we've done is we've we've turned our meetings into breakfast meetings. We have an hour power meeting before work with a bit of breakfast, of course. However, in that hour, we can really map things out. and. I think that's one of the biggest things which I've learned is make plans. When you're making the plans, don't be on the floor. Don't try and do it whilst you've got a lull in the dispensing or you haven't had to take a phone call for five minutes and now's a good time. No, do it outside the four walls of the pharmacy or do it in a time where you will not be interrupted. Hi, I'm Jackney Wilson from Wilkinson Pharmacy, Bernie, Tasmania, and you're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PBCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. Located on the northwest tip of Tasmania, Wilkinson's Pharmacy Burnie have proactively transformed their health services to meet the needs of their patients and expanded the scope and role of the community pharmacy in the region. The increased provision of specific health-related services at Wilkinson's Pharmacy demonstrates that the pharmacy is a health destination which enhances patient convenience and health outcomes. At this year's Guild Pharmacy of the Year Award, proudly sponsored by principal sponsor Care Pharmaceuticals and sponsor QCPP, recognised Wilkinson's Pharmacy Burnie in the category of Community Engagement Health Services. Wilkinson's demonstrated a commitment to developing and adopting an increased number of health services to meet the needs of their specific community. They have displayed a strong commitment to community engagement and a dedication to improving the delivery of professional services and medicines to their patients. Today, we chat with Jack Muir Wilson about the Wilkinson's pharmacy journey and what the future holds. Here's Jack. Welcome, Jack. Firstly, congratulations on being awarded the Guild Pharmacy of the Year category winner for Community Engagement Health Services. It's been a couple of weeks now since the announcement. What was the reaction of the team and also the wider community when you returned to Bernie following the award ceremony? Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, certainly the reaction when we got home was uh, fantastic and and overwhelming. We had uh, our staff who were just so excited and buzzing. They'd been watching the live stream on the Guild website and they really just wanted to hear what was it like firsthand and and asked us to show them every single photo and video that we had. And so it was uh, was great sharing those experiences with them just immediately. And then also... um, Looking for looking forward to how we're going to celebrate. So uh, this coming Friday, we've actually got a celebration in the pharmacy where uh, we're doing lots of you know cupcakes and cooking and and uh, a cake to cut and uh, sort of making it a really good celebration because the feedback from the, the patients and the community has been fantastic and they're all so proud of what we do and and how we've been recognised for. The work that we've done, you know, recently and also just over a long period of time, they're they're all beside themselves. And whether it be, you know, your 93-year-old 
Mrs. Dick who's sent in some a bunch of flowers or the cards that we've received or you know it's just been it's been really overwhelming and fantastic and uh, yeah they've they've all loved it so it's been really good. That's amazing. That's so cool. I'm sitting here with a massive smile on my face. I, I wish I could be there for that party. You mentioned the team. Let's set the scene a little bit. Tell us the the who, what, where, the how, and the why of of Wilkinson's Pharmacy. Yep. So we're actually because we're extended hours. The team it's um, it's quite a big team for for a pharmacy in this area. Certainly, I think we have uh, probably one of the highest numbers of staff, and that's because we have to man public holidays nine to nine. We have to man you know all those weekend shifts, the weeknights. So we've got you know twenty five to thirty staff, and that means that. We've really got to look after them all, and I don't think if you were one single-handed owner, you'd be able to, you know, to keep in touch with all of their their needs and sort of how they're going. So, at the top end of things, certainly there's three of us at management level. There's Heather, Heather Wild, Diane Kerr, and then myself, and we with you know share the ownership responsibilities. We're equal owners, and then we also have equal share when it comes to what responsibilities we have to run the business and I think that's um, that's key. We all work, we're all hands-on people, none of us are sort of silent partners where we don't have a finger on the pulse. We all are just genuinely, we're just pharmacists and uh, it's the business side of things come second I suppose and, and by being pharmacists and, and being and looking after our staff, I think your business will be looked after because your, your priorities are right. So. Um, Underneath that, we have, you know, we've got really good shop managers, we've got really good accounts ladies, we've got amazing dispense techs and pharmacy assistants. They're really the bones of a, a good pharmacy and uh, we try to look after them as much as possible and now we don't have staff turnover. We have just long-term employees and uh, I think that reflects that we do look after them. So whether it be constantly giving them feedback or, getting them involved in new ideas and and asking them, what do you want to do? What do you think we could do next? And then letting them have their ideas and and run with it and support them. Uh, It's been, that's probably one of the things I think we do really well is we look after our staff, we we pay them well, we give them bonuses, we we have, uh, you know, whether it be functions together, uh, one of the most memorable ones recently was playing laser tag and, and oh, their faces just lit up when they could have a shot at me and, uh, you know, just zing one off and, and just things like that. It's just we've got really good, you know, ways to build up that team morale and uh, whether it be Friday night drinks down at the pub and people see us all out together and they think, wow, that's a really good place to work. They really care about each other. And uh, I think that's, you know, we take it for granted sometimes, but I think they're the, the special little things that um, make a workplace a really good place to be at. Now, you mentioned that there are three partners at Wilkinson's Pharmacy and, and that you spoke about how you're all hands-on pharmacists and you're not somebody who are silent partners. You have your fingers on the pulse. Let's look at that a little bit more deeply. How does that actually work having three owners that that are there maybe at the same time or not there how do you communicate with each other and and where do you see the benefits yeah i see one of the the real benefits particularly because we've got 84 hours a week of being open so if you were to be one pharmacy owner you would have let's say you're doing a more than regular week hour a week you'd be doing 50 hours let's say you've still got 34 hours where the business is open 
and there's no top-end management. There's no owner there to sort of really keep things uh, running along smoothly. And, yes, you can have good pharmacist managers, absolutely, but at the end of the day, it's your business and you care about it uh, more than anyone else and you can make those decisions that need to be made on those occasions and support your pharmacist so that they can continue to do what they do. So with the three of us, it enables us to have literally a pharmacist owner there for probably 75 hours a week and there would be less than 10 hours, I reckon, where there's not an actual owner there. That still gives us plenty of time off. Don't get me wrong, we don't you know, work every single night of the week and every weekend, but we are there for a huge chunk of that time, which means that the continuity is there uh, you don't have, you know, transferring of information um, from a from an owner to another pharmacist and then back to the next owner when they come in later on. So it's really the continuity is excellent, and it means that our staff have always got someone there that they can lean on and, and you know seek information and decisions. Uh, you know that's a that's a real benefit I see. So we're all three hugely different people. So we're one of the things that. I think works best for us in this setting is we we're heavily engaged in the community in our own right. So whether it be, you know, I like, you know, I love footy, I love fishing. So every second old guy over 65 comes in and he just wants to talk to me about where he's catching his fish or here's my latest fly that I've tied, give it a go. Um, you know, Heather's mad about gardening. She's so passionate. She loves the bees and she's involved in local productions and, and helping out the local school with their production. So she's got all of those friends. Diane, she's fabulous. She's been around the pharmacy scene for a long time and she's really – she's worked full-time for a long time. So she's got huge connections everywhere in the community. She also has um, a great, you know, church that she goes to and she's got, you know, a diverse group of friends that, that come in from there. So the three of us, we've got so different, you know, with our uh, – our links in the community, but together that network's quite huge. So I think that's another big advantage to having more owners and more owners that are there and seem to be there as well. So um, it's one thing to be an owner, but there's another thing to actually be there and be a face and regularly be seen and doing the work. Um, so I think that's a very important ingredient. And there's no way we could be as successful as what we are if they, you know, if we didn't have three of us. I don't think we could do the things that we do. So um, it's a way to spread spread us across that week, cover the hours, have the continuity. Yeah, I think it's really important. You speak about doing the things that you want to do, the importance of continuity and, and that there's only probably 10 hours a week where you don't have an owner on site. And community is clearly a strong theme in, in what we've heard from you so far. But the pharmacy is open all year round and you and your team – definitely prepared to go the extra mile for the community and their health needs. What led to the discussion for the pharmacy to be open every day and why did you think it was an important decision to go down that path? It's certainly something we recognise for in the wider community. Wilkinson's is, we're always there. So, you know, when a public holiday is coming, we'll get a, a phone call to say, look, you guys are going to be open, aren't you? Ah, oh, cool. We're going to send you this patient and this patient. Uh, they need to be dosed for their pharmacotherapy. Or uh, we've got a discharge happening on that day. Every other pharmacy shut. You're going to need to organise this. You know, can you do that? So there is a huge expectation in the community, which we really, you know, 
pride ourselves on and we lift to another level. We figure it's important that you can't just be there when, I don't know, business statistics say it's the most viable, you know, to be there. So whether it's your nine till five, that's when you make your your money and that's where your script volume is. Yeah, that's okay. However, what what's going to happen at six o'clock on a Wednesday night when, you know, little Johnny's got a, a fever that's raging and it's either some Panadol and Nurofen or, you know, they've got to go and see an after-hours doctor, which in your rural setting, you, you lack that that primary healthcare support. So uh, I think it's really important that we are there and we're always there. It's too hard to make a, a model where, hey, we're open nine till nine, but we shut on public holidays or we have reduced hours or this. Our only exception to the rule is Christmas Day where we have quite advertised reduced hours. And I think that's that's fair. It's three hours on Christmas Day where we do a couple of hours in the morning, an hour in the evening. And that's a really that's a really nice time to put back to the community to be there uh, in our Christmas gear, have a puts her hands up every single year she makes biscuits so she gives them out to customers and and when you've got someone when their option was to either stay in hospital for christmas day or get discharged and get their medications go home or avoid having to present to ed because we were open and we could help them with their services i think that that really makes a huge difference to you know, your perception in the community, your quality of your, your work life, uh, it's tremendous. And, you know, it's Christmas and, and those sorts of things that they're all about giving. They're not about receiving. And if you can give back to the community, I think it's uh, it's quite rewarding for yourself. Uh, one of the things we do at work is we, we have the pharmacotherapy program. And those they're, it's a hard bunch of people. They really get the raw end of the stick sometimes. And even for those guys, they've got to be dosed on, you know, Christmas Day, some of them, and to be there when they're down and out and they're thinking how, you know, my life's really not in a good place at the moment, to be there, brighten the day up and they get a bag of biscuits from Heather and a smile and they leave and they're happy and you think, you know, otherwise what would have happened to those guys on Christmas Day? Where would they have been? You've really, you can make a difference across the board. It's not just a select number of patients. So, I think it's really good. Like I said, it's the perception in the community. It's the job satisfaction um, and it's about portraying that image that you're always going to be there. So when people do need you, you're literally there and you're ready to go. That's amazing. So many cool things in that answer, Jack. And clearly you put the patients first and then build out from there. But following in behind putting the patients first is the business itself. How does the decision to be open every day actually impact on the business and i'm interested in hearing not just the positives but also some of the challenges that might come with it absolutely so some of the challenges have been uh recently with uh you know pay discussions across australia with reducing penalty rates so one of the biggest things for us is we have always been open after hours and then a recent discussion was let's uh, reduce the, the industry award rates to, um, you know, on weekends and public holidays because, you know, retail, we're trading trading for longer and it makes it more viable. Uh, however, it is not easy to ask someone to give up their weekend, to give up their public holiday for a reduced rate. So we actually froze our rates and chose not to, you know, take on any of those new measures because, if we then paid people less, we're less likely to get them and we're less likely to get the quality ones, which 
are actually a lot more beneficial for your business. So yes, we might have been able to fill the void with um, a casual or a, a part-time person that's not as familiar with our business. However, they're not as uh, able to make significant, uh, I don't know, benefits for the patient, but also for your business. At the end of the day, they know your business a lot better. And so if you can remunerate them and, and make them want to work weekends and want to work public holidays, they will look after your customers and they'll look after your business. So that's one of the decisions that we had to make. And I think we're, we're quite proud of that. And a lot of businesses around the area have, have done that as well. So it sort of puts value on that weekend and family time. And if they're willing to give it up, we're willing to pay them more. So that's one of the hurdles that we have had. Um, and certainly just trying to juggle being being an owner and getting a weekend off at times if if you don't have your staff in right you can be working every single weekend and that's not a sustainable model you really need to have time out of the pharmacy so we've got a really good a really good roster at the moment and the key to that is having six or seven quality pharmacists that we look after and that we can flex up and flex down so we have some that go off for two months and then we're able to absorb that no worries or my wife's about to have a baby and I know that the business is safe. I haven't even had to think twice about it. I know that those staff that we look after will look after me so that they can then have their holidays later on. So I think it's all about looking after your staff, paying them well, um, giving them a great environment and then your roster can look after itself. And one of the biggest things I reckon would have been respecting the, the penalty rates and, and respecting that family time and, and our staff certainly speak volumes about that. So it's really good. That's a great answer. I think you've got everything in the right order there. The patients, then how we're going to service those patients and then the business can fall in behind and make sure that that all happens well. As we heard earlier, all three partners work in the pharmacy. When there is a big decision like maybe deciding to open every day or some other big business decision that needs everybody's input. How do those conversations happen? What are the mechanics of it? Is it just really easy or do you guys have some set roles that you play? Uh, not really set roles. I mean, we certainly have, you know, roles within our day-to-day running of the business, whether it be rostering roles or uh, who does that claim or, or who looks after this part of the pharmacy. Uh, we certainly have that aspect of it. But as for the big decisions, it's, it's a, you know, there's three of us and there's one vote each. On the big ticket items, whether it be uh, taking on some new work or um, hiring or those sorts of things, with those decisions, it really has to be a unanimous vote. And one of the things that we did before we got involved in, in a partnership together, the three of us, is we sat down and we spoke about what are our sort of core values and beliefs and what do we think is important to have in a partnership. And in conjunction with some really good lawyers, we made a very, very sound partnership agreement, which is long what it needs to be, but it covers all these sorts of scenarios. And it says when these decisions X, Y and Z need to be made, this is the voting system and this is how it needs to move forward. So you can't have a situation where one owner is completely against doing something and the other two owners vote them and they say, well, it's two to one, we're still going to move forward with it. It has to be all three of us. And the reason why is because that person has a reservation for a reason, whether it might be a belief, it might be something that they see and experience And at some point, you will later on realise that that reservation that they had 
was quite valid. And often you can have, uh, you know, people like myself, which are, you know, really want to, yep, make every decision be yes, man, yes, man. However, it can be not until months later that you go, oh, yeah, I see why she said let's wait or let's put that on hold for a bit. Because if we had have done that, this would have happened. So it really comes down to unanimous vote. We have a you know a few smaller rules where if it's something over $500, like buying a new fridge, yep, one of the owners can make that. But if it's a big decision, we really need to sit down at one of our meetings and flesh it out and see where we all stand. You know, you've really got to pick your battles when it comes to partnerships and, and what, what decisions you make and what decisions um, you let go. And uh, yeah, I think that's one of the biggest pieces of advice I've ever received is pick your battles and, you know, you're really in this for the long haul. You're not in this in a, in a short-term um, game. So I think you've got to make those decisions and respect respect your partner's wishes as well. You guys have grown and done some fantastic work in the community and you've obviously identified gaps in the health services provided in the Burnie area and have been able to successfully fill them. How do you go about identifying what the community actually needs rather than what you think you might want to offer them? Absolutely. So I'm going to start with quite a broad statement, which I hope applies to every community pharmacy around Australia. So we started by going outside of the four walls of the pharmacy, which sounds cliche and it sounds easy. It's literally that easy. You go outside the four walls of the pharmacy, you touch base with different organisations, different groups, and you you go there and you, you give them information, but you listen and you listen to what they're talking about. You listen to what questions they're asking and your brain starts to twig. Ah, oh, they don't know about this, this and this. This is a service that is offered in pharmacy. How about we then go back and have another talk about those services and see how we can link in better with them? You've just got to go out there and listen as well as educate. And the ways, you know, examples of that have been, you know, we've been extended hours. We've had, um, you know, a lot of disability care workers come in and say, look, can we have a a sign-in sheet which reflects this? And can we have, are you able to help us out with this, uh, you know, dose administration aid and, and, you know, I've got a patient that, that can't swallow. What can we do about this? And sort of we, we twigged on, there was a lot of carers asking lots of questions and we took it from a negative of, you know, it could be perceived by some people that, oh, this is just another interruption and, and this is, you know, this is wasting my time. Not at all. You are not wasting my time. You have a genuine need that we need to address. You, you ask them where they work and you say, look, why don't I come and do a free in-service what else do you want to know? And so you get get in touch with some of the, the guys that look after the training. You have a talk to them. You organise a time. Your first one might be a general overview of what is the role of a community pharmacist and, and what services do we offer. You've listened to what questions they have during that talk and then you go, okay, how about if we came back and we did a few um, talks on this, this and this, what would you guys think of that? Great. You go back and you might have some physical um, I don't know, some props of this is what a, a different Webster pack looks like, this is what a sachet looks like, these are some solutions to these problems and you really, you, your business will benefit humongously on the back of doing that for free, listening and then tailoring your services and that's been integral in our growth of, of late. Uh, another area has been IVF and that's been, that's been huge, uh, certainly huge in terms of Oh, job satisfaction and just making a real difference when previously we weren't helping those people on that journey. And not it's not about um, 
every pharmacy in the country being able to do IVF. It's about recognising a service and filling the gap, listening to the community and doing it well. You don't just do it, you do it really well. So one of the things I got from the conferences, I had a, a pharmacist come up from uh, interstate and he said, we do lots of IVF. I was watching that video and you had all these demo pens and you had, you know, you had all these, you know, examples of what the drugs look like and you're in the counselling room. I don't have any of that. And when I spoke to him, he, he was doing threefold the volume we're doing. He doesn't have a, a single demo pen. He hasn't done any, you know, specialised training or education. And so it was really good to be able to help him and link him in with some training providers on how to better deliver the service he currently delivers, how to get all of these demo pens. So the service that he is doing, how can we improve that for him? And he's been very grateful in the last couple of weeks, touching base to say, thanks very much for that. I've had the reps, the, we organised some training and uh, and it's just nice to know that they're going to be able to do a better job moving forward. So um, I think it's about doing what you do and how could you do it better and how can you do it extremely well um, because that's what we're there for. We're, we're there to give out our information and knowledge. Jack, you just talked about how it's important to get out of the four walls and spend some time out in the community. You obviously do that in your lives with the school plays and the, and the fishing and the church and the football and all that sort of stuff, the three owners. But you spoke about providing health education sessions on a wide range of topics at workplaces. Now, the key industries in Burnie are heavy manufacturing, forestry, and farming. And obviously, you're a rural community where the cliche of a a strong character is around just sucking it up and and getting on with it and not sharing your problems. When you visit workplaces, has it been tough to get people to engage about their health? And has that changed as you continue to revisit some of those workplaces? Absolutely. It's, uh, I actually start to get a hair stand up on the back of my neck when you say things like that because I can think of these examples of these, whether it be, you know, with these industry-related workplaces, there's a, a huge proportion of, of males that don't genuinely seek healthcare advice. And I can think of, the, you know, sometimes the reserved nature when you first meet them, you go back, you, you build rapport, you go back, and there's so many examples of where we have made real life impacts on the back of these. And, uh, you know, one of the examples would be that I'd like to, to give at the moment would be we've done health promotions at our local council and we've done it on topics that they've chosen and ones that we've thought of would be beneficial as well. And and whether that's at 7am on a Thursday morning before you start at 9, um, up at the council depot, talking in the cold about, you know, cardiovascular disease and taking people's blood pressure and, and talking about smoking or whatever it might be. Once you go back, like you said, and you revisit and you, you establish those relationships, lots can happen. And, and some of the things that have happened, are we now have a, a paid service. So the council has said, you guys are doing a great job. We really appreciate what you're doing. We're actually going to pay you because you are extremely knowledgeable. You're helping out our workforce tremendously. So that's now turned into a paid role, and I think that's something that um, should give other pharmacies hope for, for these services. And we would have done it for free, and we, we always do do these things for free, but it's nice to be remunerated for it at the same time. One of the other things which has come on the back of this relationship with the council is this year we're rolling out a smoking cessation program with our local council, which we're really excited about. So we've done some some training around smoking cessation and becoming a, a counsellor of sorts 
around this topic and they're going to be paying for this service for their their workers and we, we're really excited to see what's going to happen with this if if we can make a genuine impact on a lot of lives and because we've got that relationship now i think we're really perfectly placed to do this and once we've done this hopefully by you know september october we'll know how it's gone and i dare say we'll be able to roll this out across other businesses in the district and uh, really try and improve the smoking rates uh, in Tasmania we're 2.8% above the national average is still a significant number of smokers out there and in these jobs there's an even higher proportion so that's something that's quite exciting that we're doing. Another example is uh, we went to a, a mining related business, uh, this is probably two or three years ago and we did a talk and it was about diabetes, we did some screening, we, we identified patients that we needed to urgently send to the doctor and have have a blood test done because they were either early or you know they had diabetes and it was quite evident in their random BSLs. So they were good outcomes. But one of the ones which I didn't expect, and this was early on when we started health promotions, was probably in the weeks following, I started seeing these guys come in in their orange overalls and they're sort on their face and asking for advice. And I thought, haven't seen you you in here before and started seeing the the badges on their overalls. I was thinking, oh, that's right. We went out to your workplace and we had a really good conversation. And then it was probably about a month after a talk where I had one of the pharmacy assistants come up to me and say, this gentleman just like to have a private conversation with you if that's all right. I said, yeah, no worries. We'll pop him in the counselling room and I'll, I'll finish his script and I'll, I'll call in. I went in there and had a chat to him. I said, what can I do for you? And Probably five to ten minutes later, we'd been talking flat stick and worked out that he was having an acute mental health uh, sort of breakdown in a way. He had relationship troubles that had broken down. His kids had stopped talking to him. His job wasn't very certain at the moment. So there was quite a, a lot of stress in this guy's life. And after talking to him and being patient and ignoring everything else that was going on in the pharmacy, we developed a plan. We got him to a GP. We then you know, provided aftercare and, and he did need intervention with antidepressants and counselling services, but he's in a really, really good headspace. And every time I see this guy down the street or at the surf club, just gives me a smile. And I know that he still will remember for a long time that period in his life where he was down and out and he came and seeked help from someone that he had an established relationship with. And if we hadn't have done those health promotions, I don't know where he would have gone to seek that help, if he would have seeked help, or if he just would have bottled it up like a lot of males do in this, you know, in this climate. So I think that was a very good situation of, yes, we community pharmacists have those conversations all the time, but I genuinely think that one conversation wouldn't have occurred unless we'd gone outside the four walls and made that relationship possible. Oh, and, and the thing the thing with him is, so uh, I didn't know at the time, but he he's really good mates with my father-in-law. And I hear, you know, stories about how happy he is with life and, he, you know, he's got a new partner. And I just have a little bit of a smile on the back and I think, yep, I'm really glad that we had those conversations and that he knows that it was confidential um, in that regard as well. But, yeah, it's, it's great to see, see those outcomes. That is an amazing story and a huge impact on just that one person's life, but you're probably impacting lots of people's lives that they haven't shared 
the impact that you've had. So congratulations, that's some amazing work. New services mean change. What did you believe change management was going to actually mean for you and the business when you started out? And how has that view of change management changed and, and what have you learned through that entire journey? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I've learned is you really need to sit down and have time, not when you're on the floor, either before work, after work, or when you're not meant to be at work at all. I think you really need to make that time outside of the four walls so it can be uninterrupted and it can it's not biased by what's happening around you. And I think what we've done is we've we've turned our meetings into breakfast meetings. We have an hour power meeting before work with a bit of breakfast, of course. However, in that hour, we can really map things out. And, we, you know, when, when we're doing our change management ones, let's say we went three years ago and we started doing flu vaccinations, we had to do a lot of uh, decision-making around that. How are we going to do this? How's that, how are our staff going to cope with this change? And I think the biggest thing that I've learned is it's all in the planning. It's all in the be willing to make a mistake with how you've planned things. Be willing to say, yep, that wasn't the best decision. I don't think that system works. Let's go back to what we're doing before because that was a much more efficient way or let's change it slightly. You know, what do you think, guys, and and change it that way? So be prepared to make plans, be prepared to make mistakes, and then be prepared to be big enough to say, hey, that wasn't that wasn't a good idea at all. We've, we've got through the other end of it, but let's do this next time or let's change it now. So I think that's one of the biggest things which I've learned is make plans. When you're making the plans, don't be on the floor. Don't try and do it whilst you've got a lull in the, the dispensing or, you know, you haven't had to take a phone call for five minutes and so now's a good time. Now, do it outside the four walls of the pharmacy or do it in a time where you will not be interrupted. Make those plans, make them with your key staff, communicate those plans, ask for, you know, bits of advice, consult your staff, be willing to make mistakes and then be on the front foot when it comes to fixing them and putting your hand up and say, hey, that wasn't a good idea, let's jump back to doing this. So I think that's one of the things I've learned. And uh, I think the staff, when you do have change, I think they really, sometimes they can get this, oh, they get the excitement and they think, yeah, this is great, this is going to be good fun. There's also a little bit of reservation because you're taking them out of their comfort zone. So you're taking them out of this is what I know, this is what I'm good at, I'm nailing it. You've thrown something new at me. I want to be able to nail it, but I, do I have the tools to nail it? And they start to get that doubt. I think it's you've got to recognise that that goes on in people's head. So you've got to support them through that. You've got to hold their hand and you really have to provide good education, good communication with staff meetings and just be there every single time. So they might be, you know, let's say it's the flu shots and, and when they're putting it through for the first few times each year, you might be there and you might say, how are you going with that? Are you doing it right? You don't, do you need a hand? And just sort of being there and knowing that they can ask silly questions. And uh, I think that's one of the things I've noticed is uh, they really appreciate that um, and it makes them lift to another level. Jack, you are super passionate about your work and you and the team have done some amazing work so far, but you are in a rural area and the ability to attract pharmacists to rural areas, it's a huge issue. It's well publicised in the industry and some smarter people than you and I are, are working on ways to help address it. But I'd imagine that particularly for those that live in metro areas, there are some perceptions of what living and, and working rurally is like. 
what are some of the common misconceptions people have and and what is it really like to live and work in in a rural area what do you love about it oh i could i could talk all day about this and i've got a really good example that occurred yesterday which i'll i'll touch on at the end however so rewarding and i don't think it'd speak to many rural pharmacists that don't have a rewarding careers so I'm not saying that metro pharmacists and, and inner city pharmacists don't have rolling careers. They absolutely do. However, I would argue any day that you can have a much better chance of having that rewarding career if you do work rurally because your scope can be whatever you want it to be. It can be a HMR on a Monday, a flu shot on a Tuesday, you know, dispensing uh, packs on a, on a Wednesday, you can be up at a disability facility consulting on a Thursday and then you're at a child health talk on a Friday. I think, yes, you can do that in inner city, but you're less likely to because what happens is often pharmacies find little niche roles in the community and that's what that pharmacy does. And then down the road, oh, they're the one that does the compounding or that's the IVF pharmacy. So I think your scope is literally whatever you want it to be. And that is very, very rewarding as a pharmacist and as a pharmacy assistant and tech so i think that's one of the biggest messages i'd get out there is you can do so much and you can use so much of your pharmacy brain and just keep that alive the other thing i'd like to mention is the community their response to having a health professional that stays there that is uh working towards better health outcomes for their community they will bend over backwards to help you out they will um they absolutely adore you for for doing that, and those relationships are you know they're amazing. I um had a really sad one happen recently where had a guy came in and he said I'm done. I said What do you mean, Peter? And he said It's got me. And uh, he'd been through sort of three or four bouts of brain cancer and different tumours, and uh, basically had been given that the last hurrah by his doctors and said that's it and sort of to be palliated and when he's in his mid-50s in the prime of his you know his life he came in and shook my hand and said thanks for everything you've done and you've been really great i don't think you, you ever get that opportunity to say goodbye to someone in the pharmacy setting and uh, that really one hit me pretty hard and Two weeks later, his daughter came in and, and let me know that he'd passed peacefully. And I never thought when I started my pharmacy career that he'd be having those impacts on people's lives. And, and that's something which, for me, it sticks with me and that will stick with me for a long time. And um, Yeah. You should be very proud of your work, Jack, and you, you guys play an important role in the community there. And I'm sure you and the team have lots of great ideas and thoughts on how you can continue to change and evolve and to meet the needs of the community and those people that really do rely on you and still build a business. So I'm curious about what's next for Wilkinson's Pharmacy, what some of the big agenda items that are dominating those power breakfasts that you have? Yeah, so some of the big items would have to be our floor space at work is quite limited. So how do we grow our business and, and make room for these services that we want to do and the scope that we want to have? So, you know, we're always known as the pharmacy on the corner and Wilson and Wilmot Street. So how do we stay with that perception and stay with those extended hours but grow? So currently we're thinking, oh, do we do we 
do stuff upstairs? Do we buy the shop next door? Do we do we crank out our floor plan that way? So they're the sorts of ideas which we're having at the moment. And do we have a robot upstairs, get rid of the dispensary downstairs and, and follow ideas that we've seen elsewhere? So they're the sorts of big ideas that we're fleshing out at the moment that we, we're getting advice and quotes on. It's pretty exciting. The staff are heavily involved with that process and it's, you know, where do we want to be? What services do we want to provide? How are we going to get there? And unfortunately for us, our floor space is just not where we want it to be. So how do we make it work? What are some new ways and and new ideas that we can take on to to make that work better in the workflow? So that's some of the really big items. Um, On a smaller scale, uh, we're certainly moving forward with expanding into our NDIS space. So um, getting in touch with more local providers about what services we have, what can we offer and how we can make their lives easier. And I think that's a space which we're trying to focus a lot of our attention on because I've, might, I've mentioned before in other um, interviews is often community pharmacists, they get in this headspace of, well, I certainly was for a long time, is I mean, the dispensing of script that comes in itself for the patient over the counter and we fill their, their regular scripts or I'm doing some back-end work on Webster packs for community patients or Webster packs for nursing home. Um, and also in that is Webster packs for disability sector as well. However, I don't think we recognise the disability sector as much as what we do aged care. And I think you need to look at the disability sector and treat it like aged care in a way because aged care is moving back towards this live at home for longer model. And I think the two work quite closely together where you've got carers and support workers working in that environment that you can support and you can deliver a service on. It's different to other services out there for them. So I think that's a space we're focusing a lot of our attention on. And I think it's one which for the business is definitely working extremely well. So they're probably some of the bigger ideas we've got and some of the more practical small things which we've got on the cards at the moment, certainly. Jack Muir-Wilson, thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing some truly touching stories about the important work that you guys do in the community and the amazing journey of Wilkinson's Pharmacy, Bernie Tasmania. Congratulations again to you and the team on your award, and we look forward to hearing more about your success in the future. Thank you very much for having me, and I'd just like to say a big thank you to uh, the Pharmacy Guild and uh, and just for putting on a, a magnificent conference a magnificent competition for pharmacy of the year and i think it's something which gives you a great time for reflection for your staff it gives really good feedback and uh when the judging panel around were around i said it's like having four consultants in your work in your business and really looking over things so it's been a, a great period in the pharmacy's life for reflection but it's also been about looking forward and going where do we want to get to? What do we want to do next? And I think that's it's been quite inspiring on our end. So I'd just like to say a big thank you for for being involved as well and, and just asking these questions that get the creative juices flowing. So it's been great. Thanks again to Jack for spending some time with us. I'm sure you'll agree that not only was that informative, but there were some amazing stories, not only about the impact that they have on the community, but also how the community impacts the staff themselves. Wilkinson's Pharmacy Bernie is a great example of how a small community pharmacy can make a huge difference to the lives of the local community and surrounds. The pharmacy has been able to establish these much needed services 
without the need for a store refit or expensive additions to the pharmacy's operations. What Wilkinson's does demonstrate is that with demographic research, the right team, a positive attitude and good leaders, community pharmacies can lead change and maximise services and opportunities and establish themselves as health destinations. The Guild also recognises the need for community pharmacies to embrace change to ensure long-term sustainability. The Guild's CP2025 Framework for Change publication outlines nine growth pathways to help inform future business strategies, one of which is health services. If you would like more information about the framework and the nine growth pathways, visit guild.org.au forward slash CP2025. If you are interested in applying for the 2020 Guild Pharmacy of the Year Award, proudly sponsored by principal sponsor Care Pharmaceuticals and sponsor QCPP and As you heard from Jack, the process is an extremely rewarding journey in itself, irrespective of winning. Further information can be found at guild.org.au forward slash news hyphen events, guild hyphen awards, pharmacy hyphen of hyphen the hyphen year. Until next time, I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and you've been listening to episode 18 of the PBCN podcast. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.